Welcome back to another episode of The Last Zebra. I'm your host, Ugo Ezema. And today we have Dr. Ramsey Abdelghani, very special guest. Uh, thank you so much for having Yeah, of course. Yeah, having yeah. the time to come spend with us. Thanks for having me, man. This is a cool place you got here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. As always, please don't forget to like, subscribe, engage, comment, all the things. It helps to grow the channel and uh, helps us you know, keep doing what we do here. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so man. how you doing, man? Dude, things are good. Things are good, you know? Welcome kind back to the show. Welcome back. I was going to say welcome back to the show. <laughs> I'm so used to seeing you because I just saw you two days ago. That's right. <laughs> yeah, man. So um, I think the most recent thing for you is the, the baby. Yeah, yeah. I got a new baby girl. Yeah. Uh, she's almost uh, three weeks and change old. You know, we're trying our best to stay awake. and Full-on girl dad. Full-on girl dad, dude. Two for two. <laughs> So tell, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? Yeah. What do you do? Where are we at? Yeah. So I'm originally from, I'm originally Middle Eastern genetically, mm -hmm. but I'm born and raised in uh, New Orleans. So I'm yeah. pretty much full on New Orleanian, I think. Uh, I was born and raised here. I was actually born at Tulane and I always joked that I would oh. die at Tulane, but uh, <laughs> I guess that's no longer possible no, since no. Uh, they got moved eaten up. up. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, there was uh, a resident three or four months ago. I made that joke, and he's like, "You still might." And I was like, "Bro, <laughs> that's not nice. wishing. It's terrible. It's still a possibility." <laughs> Who's your resident? But no, I, he was an anesthesia resident. But I made it out alive, so I'm good. I'm okay, good, good, good. good yeah. Good, anyways, good. yeah. So I am a interventional pulmonologist, which means I do a lot of bronchoscopic stuff, and that's kind of my passion. What I've been doing, and been doing that for a couple of years now. So, has it always been something you wanted to do? And when did you become aware of it? So I, guess, yeah. I suppose that's the first question. When yeah. did you become aware of interventional pulmonology and when did it become a passion? Yeah, that's the thing. I didn't know much about it like most people. It's right. kind of a newer field, I guess, a newer subspecialty that has its own boards and fellowships. Mm -hmm. Before it was just people kind of doing what they do and trying their best. But I think initially I, get, I, I gravitated toward the ICU just like everybody else mm -hmm. does, right? I mean, as a resident, it was so exciting the, the attendings I had were so clever and they were so good and calm and in exciting situations. And they were kind of the leaders and the, the people you looked up to in those mm -hmm. kind of situations. And I, I've loved the ICU. I loved pulmonary. I loved all of it. You know, I loved, you know, we didn't have any fellows in our residency program. Mm -hmm. I, I did my residency at, uh, in Baton Rouge general, a couple of miles the, away. The general. Oh, it was so good, dude. I loved it. And we didn't have any fellows, so I got to do as much as I wanted to do, which was good for me, but bad for the people who didn't like ICU, I guess, because right, right, right. you'd be alone doing a 28-hour call or whatever. You get a rapid response or a code blue. You get to go. You get to manage the code blue, which was always a great learning experience. You get to intubate the patient, line them up, bring them back to the unit, stabilize them, put them on the vent, figure everything else out, right? Mm -hmm. You and the RTs and the nurses, just learning everything and having a great, you know, a great experience. And, you know, helping the patient as best you can. The next morning the attending comes and, and they give you the, that great feedback and you just learn so much, you know. And having that experience at night was just something I, I, I really enjoyed. And then I found out that bronchoscopy existed, first of all, and that was awesome. It was very interesting to see that, you know, I had an interest in GI, but it wasn't so much of an interest. I really gravitated toward the procedural aspect of pulmonology and mm -hmm. critical care. I really love the procedures, as I, I'm sure you do as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then... 
I found out that, you know, my attendings would do these bronchoscopies and it got to the point where I, I loved it. Like they would let me do it with them because again, no fellows and they'd love to teach. So it was almost, uh, kind of masochistic, but I would like, when I was on the floors and <laughs> the wards, I was the upper level, I would come in an hour or two early. I'd run on my patients, see the interns, patients, make sure I had the plan for mm -hmm. everyone, then sneak away around eight o'clock and do a bronch with one of the attendings and come back and do rounds and stuff. And that really kind of gave me my first taste of this kind of life. And I was like, this is amazing. So I went full force into Palm Crate, was fortunate to match it at Tulane where you matched as well. Yeah, we were That's how we met. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. did that did that thing for a while and found uh, the good Dr. Care, who was an interventional pulmonologist, and mm -hmm. he really kind of mentored me, took me under his wing, and he kind of taught me what interventional pulmonology was. It wasn't just EBUS. It wasn't just navigational bronchoscopy, that you could do so many, a huge array of minimally invasive things to patients who normally aren't surgical candidates right. and still give them symptomatic benefit and still help them. You know, all while being a major player in the lung cancer space. And I really right. have a big passion for lung cancer. So that was just so nice to see that I could do so many extra things that I didn't know I could do. Mm -hmm. When I found out that was a fellowship, I like an additional fellowship, that's kind of really all I wanted to do. So I did some research, Dr. Care, you know, thankfully matched in interventional pulmonology and, and came back here. And I'm currently the the director of interventional pulmonology at Tulane. No joke, I, I direct myself. <laughs> <laughs> and morale is pretty good, though, so it's not terrible, but <laughs> it's just a one-man team. And of know? one. And of one, yeah. Those are the best teams. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm my partner, Dr. Beck, now is the director <laughs> yeah. at the VA, so we yeah. kind of always, uh, always joke we have director's meetings when we talk and chat with each other. But yeah, I've been doing that for a couple of years now. I think I'm in my third or fourth year, and it's awesome. Yeah, I'm pretty much now close to 100% IP. I don't do anything else, and it's just it's exactly what I want to do. Well, it, it's interesting because I think the shift from loving, for me, the shift from loving procedures, a lot mm -hmm. of what draws people to the ICU is that action that you get. It's curious to me that, you know, for you, at least from what I'm hearing, is, you know, you, you had a passion for the ICU, pulmonary mm -hmm. somehow, all like as it always is, gets bundled into ICU yep. and... Um, how did you transition from that passion for the ICU to strictly procedures? Like, so it, it obviously the, the the passion for procedures, being a procedures, being yeah. an interventionalist, yeah, now supersedes the ICU. I imagine. Yeah, I still enjoy the ICU, yeah. and if I could, I would like some sort of balance. But what I found up happening is when I'd be on the ICU, I couldn't turn off the IP mm. mindset, where I'd be getting you know outside hospital referrals, and I would do the ICU, then peel away, do a a two-hour bronchoscopy or something, then come back and have to re-round in the ICU. And I felt that I wasn't able to give the ICU my full undivided attention That's fair. and what it deserved. And I felt like I wasn't teaching the residents as much because I'd go there, round very quickly, go do a bronch and come back, and it's not safe, I felt, right, you know? Right, right, right. So that's when I talked to our chief, you know, and I told him, listen, I don't think I can do both at a high level. So since I didn't have a lot of extra help in the interventional pulmonary space, we kind of decided I would do more IP till we hire more people and then I could maybe scale back into the ICU right, if right. I found that was, you know, that it fit. I still love procedures. I still love the ICU. It's just the draw of the newer technology and this kind of like being a super, super subspecialist or whatever is just really interesting. Right. And I find that so cool. There's so many things that are, haven't been discovered yet that I can be part of, new trials, new research. Like I'm not a big research guy, but... I like doing IP research, mm. you know? So that's what, you know, you wake up in the morning and I'm like, oh, cool, I have a cool rigid case today. I have a cool stent case today. I get to debulk. I get to 
talked to the radiation oncologist, onto the medical oncologist about what I did, my biopsies. I got a, a small nodule, you know, that kind of stuff. I, every, every single part of it pretty much excites me. Right, and right. it still does. So I, that's why I still think it's, it, you know, I made the right choice, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. And certainly following and executing your passion is definitely something that I think everyone should have the opportunity to do so. Oh, absolutely. Let's dial back a little bit. How, mm-hmm. how did you get to medicine? Are you from a family of physicians, a family no, of doctors? No, I think I, my, myself and my brother are the mm-hmm. first two physicians in our family. Not really? the first two educated, but the first two physicians for sure. Really? How, mm-hmm. how did you both, older brother? Uh, younger brother. Younger? Sammy's younger than you? He's younger than me. Yeah, yeah, what? yeah. By like a year, by two years. Uh-huh. I did not know that. Uh-huh. He's a little taller than I am, so. <laughs> and the reason I'm so surprised is because I met Sammy before I met you, right? Correct. So, like, yeah, I met yeah, Sammy yeah. in my residency. He was a cardiology fellow, fellow at the yeah. time. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool, cool. So, how, not to speak for him, but how yeah. did y'all <clears throat> fall into medicine? Yeah, I, I can't speak for my brother as much, but I think for myself, my father wanted kind of both of us to do engineering, actually. Mm. It wasn't like the traditional Middle Eastern dad where he goes, <laughs> doctor or nothing. Well. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, I want you to do engineering, you know, medicine, all these kind of things, you know, like you study too long, et cetera. And I did a That's little a bit very of... very practical, uh, practical Yeah, he was man. super smart about it, honestly. Yeah. yeah, he was like, listen, you get good money, you're very clever, you change lives. And he actually pushed me to try trying biomedical engineering. Mm. I kind of like to do... I like medicine, I liked sciences, I didn't like art as much. My mind didn't really meld with that as much. Mm-hmm. But he was like, why don't you try bi- biomedical engineering? And then actually I tried a year of biomedical engineering. I liked the medicine aspect of things, but didn't really love calculus, didn't love like, you know, all and this the, is in college. This is in college, right. correct, yeah. So the same Where time, was college? At Tulane. So I did a year of college at Tulane. Ah. And then I thought about doing, you know, I was like, well, I kind of want to do medicine. And, you know, should I just continue this? And you can still do, uh, you know, med school from biomedical engineering. Mm-hmm. And that's actually what my, bro- uh, what my brother did. He gotcha. finished the whole biomedical engineering degree and then did medicine through that. Mm. And I was thinking, I was like, well, listen, I love I want to travel and I kind of want to do other things and learn languages and all these kind of things. So I talked to my father about it and him having connections, although he was a public health professor and still is at Tulane. So he had, you know, had a lot of connections around the world and he goes, why don't you, you know, travel the world and do medicine or whatever you'd like to do. And I thought maybe I could do doctors without borders or things mm. like that. These kind of things were playing in my head for right. a bit, you know? Right. So he was saying, instead of having a ton of debt, why don't you go do medical school abroad? You know, so I initially kind of looked at different medical schools around the world and I found uh, a medical school in Turkey that he, people spoke highly of Mm. essentially. And it was, you know, was one of the better schools in the world, supposedly. And uh, also one in Jordan that I liked as well. So I took the entrance exams to both and I was fortunate to get into both. I deferred the one in Jordan for a year and and tried the one in Turkey just because it was new. I'd never been to Turkey before. I went and visited and I really enjoyed the the culture. It was very European, but also a little Middle Eastern as well. Right. So I stayed in Turkey for a bit. At, as I kind of did, everything was in Turkish. It wasn't as much in English as I expected. Mm. So it was more challenging than I expected. I did okay, but it wasn't really a good fit for me. Okay. Started getting a little homesick and things like that. So I had that acceptance to the one in the middle, in Jordan, Jordan for a while. So I went back to that. And, and I, finished, I finished that. Uh, I went straight through that. And then when I graduated there, I, the thought of Doctors Without Borders was still there. But I you know, met my future wife and... I started getting pretty homesick. It was surprising to me. I was like, oh man, I miss being back in America. I miss my family. I miss kind of, it's interesting. I, I eventually learned, I'm, I used to be fluent in Turkish. I'm fairly fluent in Arabic. Mm-hmm. But no matter I feel, no matter how, I have a lot of respect for these people who come from across different countries and come and live and 
do high level things in, in America in a second language. Right. Cause right. no matter how good I got another language, I was never as good as I want it to be. Right. You, you can't joke as well. You can't, you don't have the culture as well. You don't have the pop culture. Right, right. These things that you, that you find that are so, you know, that come so naturally me and you, becomes very challenging, I feel. Right. That that goes beyond the language. It's 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 the 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 meta language, if you will. Yeah. You know, the way you move. It made me think of um have you ever seen the movie Inglorious Bastards? Yeah, absolutely. You do you remember how the they got, yeah, the, yeah, that's right. The three versus the <laughs> yep. however they did it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So simple things like that. It it's it's really it's really I, I I can I can definitely understand how that could be very challenging. Yeah, and it just you're never as witty as you want to be. You can't yeah. be as clever as you want to be. You can't be as kind as you want to be. Which you are. Oh, Which thank you, you very much. Thank <laughs> you. But even the idioms and things, yeah, the yeah. sayings, you know, you know, I learned a lot of them there, but it's still very challenging right. to do. And so at that point, I kind of, you know, I was in Jordan. I met my wife, and I was like, I want to come back. She, you know, didn't really have a, you know, real strong, you know interest in coming to America, but we, you know, we came together and obviously she's, she's doing fine here mm-hmm. and everything, but it was interesting. I kind of, the way, as I got older, I found out what's more important to me. Mm-hmm. And it's not just running around the world, learning languages. Cause I, I love learning languages and I love, it'd be, it'd, it'd be really cool. Like a dream would have been if I could have like, if there was some sort of thing, like a world medical license where you can apply, you get it and you can just go to a country and just give back and just give good medical care while learning the language and hanging out and, you yeah. know, existing. And then in a couple of years, you're bored, you skip to another country and do the same thing there, learn the language and that kind of stuff. That would Obviously, be awesome. it doesn't really exist, but it would have been really cool to do. Right. You know? So eventually I came back here and we talked about the residency and fellowship and IP fellowship and stuff. But it was, it was interesting. Nice. Yeah, that sounds, there's so much to unpack there. Um, the languages. How yeah. many languages do you speak? I mean, obviously English is pretty my first language. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, I I was fluent in Turkey, in yeah. Turkish for a while because mm-hmm. they don't really speak English there very well. Mm-hmm. So I had to kind of sink or swim. Mm-hmm. I would remember I'd sit there every night and learn. My goal was to learn 50 new words a night. And I had a roommate who was Turkish and didn't really know English. So it was a great opportunity to right, talk right. with each other. And right? that's the best way to learn immersion. It's yeah. the only way to learn, yeah. I feel. And I, and I got really good at it. Like, right. you know, like my trick is, a good test of how well you know a language is hop in a cab and and talk to the guy and it, and depending how long he takes to ask you where you're from is how good you're doing. You know mm, what I mean? Like I like that. If like you're sitting there for like 10 seconds, he's like, hey man, where are you from? And you're like, ah, crap. You know, like, yeah. but if you sit there for a couple of minutes, he's like, wait a second. You're like, he said something wrong yeah, yeah, or yeah, the yeah, saying yeah, he said yeah, was incorrect yeah, yeah. or he said some kind of Turkish history and you didn't get it. And right, he's like, right. where are you from? You know? So it was, was kind of nice to kind of just you know, blend in and kind of adopt a, a culture and a language in that scenario. So it's Turkish and Arabic mm-hmm. as well. So I guess three, but my Turkish isn't very good anymore. I don't really speak much anymore, unfortunately. What was Jordan like? It was great. Like, so my, most of my family's from Jordan. Mm. So it was a nice loving environment. I had a lot of family there so I could go and have a home cooked meal. I could also, you know, live in my apartment with my friends and my roommates and have some independence. I, I, I enjoyed it, you know. Again, is it for me? I'm kind of, because I'm born and raised here. Mm-hmm. It just felt... Not like home, was, even though it, it is, a, you know, very, very, it's very much home, but not like home. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what was your favorite part like between Turkey and of <clears> course, <throat> Turkey, having explored the challenges of that between Turkey and Jordan. So that was the breadth of your medical school mm-hmm. um, education. Yeah. 
what was your favorite part of that entire process? I guess it was just being able to, so I, I, you know, I had friends in, in college and I left after, after a little bit in college and they kept going, of course, and they all did junior year abroad. Mm -hmm. So I get to visit them in London and, 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 and I went to Hungary with my friend. I went to Italy to see my other friends, just a hop, skip and a jump away. Yeah, 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 it was like a yeah. hundred dollar plane ticket because it's right there. Yeah, yeah. So that was really fun to be able to see all these other countries and do other things. And plus just kind of... I guess you kind of rough it a little bit. I was mm -hmm. able, like, I love, like, I love walking. I love, like, just kind of, just, you know, learning the landscape, so to speak. I didn't have a car or anything there, obviously. Right, right, so right. I was able to just walk around and have a, just a good time just experiencing another country. Really, not just like a 10-day a touristy kind of thing. I mm -hmm. got to really meet the people and, and really see what they're like. And that was, just both countries was very, very refreshing. Right. It sounds like you like to travel. Do you still get to travel quite a bit? Not as much as I'd like. Now with kids and stuff, it becomes a little bit of a challenge. My wife's also a physician, so you know how it is. Coordinating vacations and that kind of stuff is tough. Oh, yeah. so I don't get to travel as much as I, I'd like to. But I went to, last year, last year I went to Portugal for a friend's wedding, which is really mm. fun. And the year before that, I went to Italy for another friend's wedding, which is great. Nice, nice, nice. So you, you moved back here, so that must have been for residency for, mm -hmm. to Baton Rouge. Which yeah, is so we've, a year before that, I actually did uh, research with one of the endocrine surgeons at Tulane. Because, ah. you know, you're an FMG or a foreign medical graduate, yep. you yep. had that almost like a gap nine months because yeah, yeah, you can't yeah, yeah. apply until you have your license yep. or, or to yep. your diploma. Yep. So because of that, I did research with him, which was a great experience, mm -hmm. too. It was... Not in a field I was super interested in, endocrine surgery. I was about but to say. Yeah, but he was very, you know, he was a good mentor and he was, he understood that I wanted to do internal medicine, but he still helped me kind of, you know, get better at research and develop a, an interest in research. Right. So going, going into residency, did you, well, going into internal medicine, did you have a preconceived notion of what you wanted to do post-residency? Yeah, so in medical school, in Jordan, uh, our last year of medical school, we could do two electives and I picked to do them actually in... Uh, in New Orleans, because I'm from here, yeah. obviously. So I came back and I did a year, uh, sorry, a month of nephrology and a month of pulmonary. And guess who was my pulmonary attending? It was no at Tulane. Way. No It way. was Simeone. You lie. I swear to God. Yeah. The so legend. He was, yeah, it was amazing because he was my pulmonary attending. So the whole month I got to hang out with him, basically. And it was... It was what he, an experience that. Oh, right? it was so good because yeah. he's so smart, right? We, yeah. And we, we had a couple of cool CF patient cases and stuff like that that I remember so vividly. But it was really funny because I think my second year of fellowship, because after I left, when I went back, to, when I went to residency, I think mm -hmm. he had left for a couple yeah, of years. Yeah, yeah. And he, he would come to chess conference every now and then. So I made my second year of fellowship. He came to chess conference. He's just sitting there looking at me. <laughs> And I'm like, you know, whatever. Like, I knew him, of right, course. Right, so right. No way he remembers me. Right, I was there right, for a right, month, right. five or six years ago or whatever. And he's like, were you a medical student with me? And I was like, yes, sir, I was. And he goes, I remember you saying you wanted to do pulmonary and critical care, but I thought amazing. you were just saying that because everyone tells you right, that because right. you want a letter recommendation. He's like, I remember I wrote you a good letter. And I was like, I hope you did. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> That's impressive. I, I, I'm not surprised at all that he would. I mean, he is, he's... Quite possibly one of those the most brilliant. Oh, you so smart. intensive is that I know. Yeah, he was a nephrologist in Italy, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah he was. He was. He's so he cool. Was. He is so cool. <laughs> he he has such an interest. He lives on a boat now. I need to talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. That probably a great story to tell. I know he has. I'm, I bet you, and he he does like swerve into these really cool stories when you when you get to to hang out with him and talk with him. Shout out to Doctor Simeone. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah Simeone. And we and and Tulane has such a wide, diverse group of really, really cool attendings. I I, I came to Tulane from Shaber, mm -hmm. Leonard J. Shaber. Shaber being a community hospital, Tulane being the 
quintessential, you know, you know, big school, yep. big, um, big uh, hospital, big residency program. And truly to the name, it was really, really like a great experience. Mm -hmm. I'm forever thankful. So we met, you were my third year. Yeah, that's right. When I was a first year, yeah, yeah, yeah. first year fellow. Um, and then I think we crossed paths again when I came back from my, I think my first year as an IP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were so a third year, I believe. I was a third year, yeah, because you, you were gone for a year and then you came back. Uh, true, true, so true. by the time you came back, I was now a third year and you were, yeah. you were my attending. That was really cool. That is really cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, so now that you're, you, you've been out of training now mm -hmm. for three years, three yeah. going on four years, what I, I'm still learning so much about how I practice. I'm still learning so much. I, I will make the case that in the first two years of being out, so this I'm going into my third year now, in yeah. the first two years, I learned probably more about, you know, the field yeah. and it's, it, than I did in fellowship sometimes. Yeah. So like the, the, there's a steep, there's a steep uh, learning curve with being a fellow. And I think there's a steeper learning curve with being an attending. No, how, how has that been for you? Well, it's always interesting because you, at least for me, my standpoint, when I came back, you know, everything I'm doing, at least in my mind, is always high intensity and I don't mm -hmm. want to mess something up because I'm the only person. A lot of times you don't have backup. You know, if I'm debulking a tumor and a patient bleeds, there's no one I can really yeah, call yeah. to help because I'm kind of by myself in that situation. I call Dr. Becknell, but sometimes he's far away at the VA, you know. Mm -hmm. So I always, always like the first like maybe 20 or 30 cases, I'd call one of my attendings, my mentors back in Boston and say, hey, listen, I'm just going to biopsy this. And they're like, of course, that's what everyone would do. Yeah, and I'm yeah, like, okay, yeah. just want to make sure that I should biopsy <laughs> this. Okay, sounds good. And I'd be very conservative. And then I slowly kind of got a little more aggressive. I'm still not a cowboy-ish, I think, because I, you know, I try to think as best I can. If I was a patient, would I want someone to be so cavalier with what I'm doing, et cetera? Right, a lot of right. things we can do, but, you know, should, should be, you, right? right? So I started out pretty... Uh, pretty conservative. And then I've kind of just relaxed a little bit as I got more and more, uh, experience, but still I try to be just as cognizant as I can that, you know, I want to do the, what's best for the patient and not do something crazy if I don't think it's needed, you know? Yeah. Do you still, I, I'm sure as, as you've been practicing and the field of interventional problem, it, it's changed so much since I was a fellow, right? It's crazy. So, oh my goodness. Um, the, the advent of robotic bronchoscopy from, you know, I remember when EBUS was the new thing. Yeah. Um, and now we're doing so much more. It's awesome. What 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 has been the what has been the most exciting thing for you? Yeah, I think uh, I think I mean honestly, I want to say robotic bronchoscopy. One because we all you know tried the older technology, mm -hmm. and you know there's a there's a ceiling as how far you can go and how good you can be. And I'd still have to be like, is this a good navigation case or is this not a good navigation case? Mm -hmm. And now I feel. I don't need to send anybody else. I can do any nodule that I think I want to biopsy, I can biopsy it. Mm -hmm. And not just that, it's not something that has to be gatekept with interventional pulmonology. Mm -hmm. and with the advent of robotic bronchoscopy, it's become more ubiquitous, right? It's a lot, the skill ceiling I think is lower, or I guess it's, I guess the learning curve is lower. So it's, it's better for everyone because there's no way I can biopsy everything in Louisiana, right? right, right. You need people to biopsy these things and kind of, you know, and, and grow their own practices. So I think the fact that they made this easier and they made every, I guess, the ability to treat lung cancer and diagnose it early better has been incredible. And, and for, the, for the casual viewer, uh, so mom, <laughs> dad, cousins, <laughs> all the friends that are watching, for the ca <laughs> for the all, my mom is medical, so she knows, but mm -hmm. uh, for our casual non-medical and non-pulmonary 
um, uh, viewer and or listener. What what is robotic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. So we should take it back a little bit. <laughs> yeah, little yeah, more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So essentially, when you have a spot on your lung, this could be one of many things, right? Mm-hmm. It could be an infection. It could be inflammation, or God forbid, it could be cancer. And our job, my my job and your job, is to make sure this isn't cancer and work our way backwards. Mm-hmm. Now, depending on our clinical suspicion, we may watch a nodule to see if it grows. We we may watch a nodule to see if it goes away, or we may go ahead and biopsy a nodule to see if it's cancer mm-hmm. if our suspicion is high. Robotic bronchoscopy lets us go in to the airways, navigate to a specific nodule, get to that nodule and take some small microscopic samples, send that to the lab and see what it is, infection, inflammation, or cancer. Now, the way I think about it is I'm I'm a simple guy. You know, I like to think simple. Think like a big old oak tree, right? You got a big old trunk and you got a bunch of branches and a bunch of leaves. Mm -hmm. And my job is to get from the trunk of the tree down to a specific leaf, Right. And as you get out from the branches, each branch is smaller and smaller than mm-hmm. both than the branch before it. And there's multiple bifurcations and divisions of those branches. So you can make a, a wrong turn pretty easily. Mm-hmm. With the robot and most navigational bronchoscopies, they give you like almost like a lung GPS. Turn left here, turn right here, go up, go down until you get to where you think or it thinks the nodule is. Once you're there, you take some biopsies in a minimally invasive way, meaning... It's scarless. There's no, there's no significant recovery. You go home the same day. You're back to work the next day. Mm-hmm. And in a couple of days, we get an answer. Back in the day, they had to chop you open to get that off, right, get that same right, answer, right? Right, right. So I, I love the fact that we can do things in a, in a more minimally invasive way and not have to expose the patient to further risk to get the same answer. Right. You know? That's awesome. Where do you see the future of IP? And, and that could be as recent or as quickly as <clears> six months to, you know, five years, where do you, what, what do you, what's coming up next? Yeah, I, I'm hoping that as now we're getting better and better at biopsying these nodules, I think we're hitting our, our, our the best we can be right now with biopsying and diagnostic mm-hmm. yield. But I hope in the future we find a good way to ablate these nodules. For example, like there's some technologies coming out down the pipeline where you go in, once you get to that nodule, you biopsy it, you have the pathologist at bedside. He says, yes, this is cancerous. You get rid of it. Yeah, exactly. You put, you, you put your device in. You zap it, nuke it, freeze it, vaporize it, whatever technology it is, it goes away. It's a one-stop shop, mm. right? You've diagnosed them, you've staged them, and you've cured, not cured, at least treated their cancer in one two-hour session, right? which I think is you know, what we all want to do, right? Diagnose it, send to someone very quickly as soon as possible. I got introduced to a term, um, single anesthesia event, mm-hmm. and that has really been sticking out to me in terms of, especially in lung cancer care. Um, which obviously I'm a pulmonologist, so that's that's where my focus is. But mm-hmm. the idea of doing, um, being really efficient about each anesthesia event, so getting the patient under for a singular procedure or getting as much as you can in a efficient and uh, practical way. So I love the idea of having, if you know, doing the biopsy, mm-hmm. possibly staging and or treatment all under the same anesthesia event yep i think that's that's a really really cool i'm i'm excited for that and of course with that with the with robotic bronchoscopy navigating to those nodules is going to be a lot easier absolutely yeah 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 so let's talk a little bit about you right (laughs) (laughs) and you know we we talk about ip so what are what are some of your interests outside of ip yeah yeah i mean i do like ip it's unfortunate to talk about a lot but uh (laughs) i so I've been playing guitar for maybe 10 or 15 what? years. It sounds like a lot, but when you see me play, it's not. I don't play <laughs> like someone who's been playing for 15 years. Uh-oh. I like to dabble. I have an acoustic guitar that I like to play and just like sing along to. I have a keyboard that I can't play, and I have a drum set that I mess around with. 
that I have a little ukulele as well. So yeah, little, a ukulele. I have a ukulele. Yeah, yeah. Just a little one. And it's actually my daughter uses it now. She kind of just messes with it. Nice, like it's her own guitar. Nice, we play nice, guitar nice, together. Nice. Yeah, so that's fun. I've been. I like to cook as well. I uh, recently bought. Uh, sorry, I bought a um, like one of those like ceramic Kamado eggs. Oh yeah, like the, the big green the eggs. Big green eggs. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And I've been smoking stuff and cooking stuff, and that's really fun. Wait, was it you that sent me a picture? I probably of your, of yeah, your, yeah, I have to brag about it. Probably. It must have been when you first bought it. The probably, green, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's like super fun. So I find that like just fun. It gets hey, me out of the house you? for five minutes. Yeah, I'm sure it was. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like something I would do. But this brisket I made or something. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. That's exactly what it was. It was a brisket. <laughs> and I was like, whoa. What do you think about a big green egg? I want to get one. So I have a Kamado Joe, but it's the exact same thing. Okay, it's okay, just like okay, a, okay. I think a cheaper version or something like okay, that. Okay. But it, dude, it's it's so fun. And like I, I like the process, if that makes sense. Because smoking can, takes time. It takes time. But, but it, it's like a it, whole day. And like now with kids and stuff, I can't go out as much as I need to and <laughs> things like that. So this gets me out of the house and I can cook food for my family. Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. like a, a two for one kind of thing. That's you an know? interesting dichotomy from from you know it, your work person, which is yeah. you know, action, procedure. Yeah. And then to I'm a, I'm also a smoker. Well, I mean, I like doing stuff with my hands. I guess if that mm. makes sense. I kind of want to keep busy. So this get, this helps me do something. It's not just like putting something in the microwave. I get to do like a you know a thirty step process or whatever you want to do. I dry brine it the two days before. Different rubs, different things like that. Then I get to put it on the smoker. Try to manage the temperature. You know that kind of stuff. So it gets yeah, me yeah, yeah. busy for a whole day. It kind of eats up some time and gives me something to look forward to. And then however good I get to be, I can. Have bragging rights, send to my friends and things like that, and see how it tastes, right? That that's awesome. Um, is 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 uh, cooking? Does that run in the family as well? Yeah. So my dad's a, actually a really good cook. My mom's also an incredible cook, and my brother also cooks. We oh, always wow. kind of like to do these kind of things. You know, we'll trade recipes or like be like, "Oh, look at this! You know, interesting thing I found. Yeah. I'm going to try it," or things like that. You know. But since I got the the smoker, it's kind of been my main thing. I've been trying, like, "Oh, I'm going to try this kind of meat." I did a a prime rib for. Uh, Christmas, mm. like on a rotisserie style. I, I did a rotisserie turkey in my smoker. Yeah, it was kind of cool. Came out really good. I believe it. It was good, man. You need to. What you need to do is uh, start sending me some more pictures, <laughs> and then and then perhaps sending sending me an invite before you send. <laughs> well, the, so the problem is it's hard to get consistent and good. I want to invite you over and be like, "Hey, man, I spent 13 hours on this. It's not great. There's <laughs> not much of a backup, you know, and that's my worry. No, I want to get good at it. I'm sure. I'm sure. Okay, I'm sure it, come, it will come out fine. If the brisket looked as good as it tastes, dude, or it tastes as good as it looks, you got it. trust me, out. I think I'll be fine. <laughs> I think I'll be fine. Any other non-medical uh, hobbies? Those are my, I used to like to work out a lot. doesn't mm. show at all, but I used to, <laughs> like back in med school, I went to the gym pretty hard. And I, it was just something fun to do. Yeah, Again, yeah, doing yeah. something with my hands or something outside. And I'm trying to pick up, uh, as you know, a little bit of golf. golf. I'm not good at it yet. My brother is pretty good. I know you're pretty good, and I, a few no. of our friends. You're not good. Who no, told I thought, you that? I, don't, I thought you were good. I, I am not. With you. It, you know how you <laughs> feel about guitar. Yeah. You know, I, and to, to be fair, I haven't been playing golf for a very long time. I started playing golf um, through. My, so my my father-in-law. Yeah. Um, he plays golf, and then one of my, my one of my best friends from from residency, Hardik. Hardik should be on this podcast soon, but Hardik yeah. plays golf as well. Uh -huh. So through the two of them, I started dabbling golf, dabbling uh, gotcha. in golf. And every time I play with them, they're always like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> they, they don't say it, but yeah, yeah you, you feel it, right? Yeah, I, I feel, I feel them judging my behind. I yeah. know, I, they're judging my they, they give you the kind of advice that, you know, really good golfers give 
bad golfers like um and you know maybe maybe we'll play best ball <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. we'll play best ball on the you know on the next yeah. hole and then more recently um uh, another real good friend of mine uh james brown jb he uh he plays quite often as well uh, so through him and you know some of our mutual friends yeah I, I dabble in golf. I try to play once a month. I haven't been as good as 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 I'd like, but I'm not good. I don't know who told you that. I am not nah, good. man. I I'm I, I'm on the golf course for one primary reason, and that is to like hang out with my boys. And that's the fun thing. Gets you outside. Yeah. You can do again doing something with your hands is a whole goal for me. You know, just doing something that's not just sitting in front of a couch, right, basically, right, 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 you know, which right. I like doing. But I just get stir crazy sometimes. I just want to get up and do something. Yeah, you know? Yeah, absolutely um fatherhood yeah man how's that been it's it's been awesome like honestly it's amazing yeah. i'm so happy it happened i yeah, guess yeah, if that yeah. makes sense yeah, i was a little, yeah. obviously very nervous and you never feel like you're ready right but like my old my oldest girl she's like two and a half she's yeah. the best i think right before i came here i was watching curious george with her or something yeah, like that yeah, yeah. and she was she was dancing about something and it was just awesome just watching her it's great it's a, it's, a, it's the simple things Dude, um, legit. What what was that transition like for you? Like from from obviously not being a dad to being a dad. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm again those kind of people who always kind of be doing something. I don't can't sit still, as you know mm-hmm. me. So having to be able to sit still for a while and go at the pace of a small little person was a little challenging to get through. But now I'm starting to get better at like taking my time and enjoying just her being there. You know, which is really nice. Like we were like walk, we we're in the park or something, and I was just like swinging her for. God knows how long, just swinging her back and forth. And she was just saying stuff. And it was just great to like watch her say stuff, you know? Because now she's starting to have a little personality and like say full sentences. And it's just great, you know? Who does she take after more, you or? I think maybe me a little more. I think this one is me and the, the new one is my wife. Yeah. She's what? like, she's very headstrong and very like, you know, when she's committed to something, she does it, you know, which I, which I like. But also she's a little stubborn like me, so. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think. <laughs> Kids, kids are, are, are very interesting to me. I was watching um, Trevor Noah's podcast, yeah. What Now. Uh-huh. Um, the very first one was with The Rock. Oh, uh, nice. Dwayne yeah. The Rock. Uh-huh. And he has three daughters. Oof. And he was talking about how um, he, his relationship with his dad was is very different from his relationship with his children with his kids mm-hmm. and it, the, what i got from it is that a lot of the a lot of the best parts of him he does attribute to his father but there's a lot that he had to kind of he a lot of what he does for his kids is stuff he couldn't get he didn't get from his dad i see yeah you see what i'm saying yeah, yeah, yeah. so <clears throat> his dad had a really rough uh, upbringing so the way he transferred or manifested his love was a very different kind of way it was the typical er kind of mm-hmm. man and it's it's curious to see the rock, you know, because in videos, if you see him with his with his daughters, with his kids, mm. it, it, the man is a teddy bear, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the people's champ becomes a teddy bear <laughs> in front of his kids, and he's you know he's wearing tutus and he's you know doing his nails and they're painting yeah. his face, and he he makes a really good point that um, that gentleness, essentially that softness, that gentleness is something that he wanted. As a as a kid, he so didn't he know. To give it to his kids. Yeah, yeah, so he he's he's very purposeful about about giving that and providing that for his kids. What, how do you feel your parenting style is, is different from say your parents, or how yeah. how's be how have in the short time now in the two and a half years yeah. how's being a dad 
um, for you been different from how you felt your dad was? I think I'm more patient than I thought I would be. You know, mm. I feel like I'm not very patient with some people in my life sometimes or mm. even from the fellows or things <laughs> like that when I'm doing stuff with them or people I interact with. But with her, I'm much more patient, maybe because I understand she's two and I can't mm -hmm. expect too much out of her. Mm. And I feel like maybe my parents weren't so patient with me. They've been great. My mom's a great mom. My dad's a great dad. Right, they, right, they gave right. me everything, right. honestly. But that's one of the things I feel like I'm trying to get better at and maybe maybe talking more to her and being more interactive with her, which was nice, you know. Definitely one of my biggest challenges right now is as my my daughter is four mm -hmm. and talking about personalities, right? So it's every day she does something. I'm just like, wait, when, when did she, when was she able to do that? <laughs> like, when did yeah. that happen? Yeah. You know, and like she talks like, I, I, I tell my wife all the time, she's, she's just, my daughter is literally just sass and flesh, flesh and sass. <laughs> All I get is sass from her. It's 80% sass. 80% sass. But it's so funny to me. I, I, when I hear her talk, I'm like, what? who taught you that? Yeah. Why are you? She, she, the other day she started, She, I forgot what happened, but she came into the room and just said, I'm going to beat y'all up. I'm like, who are you talking to? To all y'all. <laughs> to all y'all. Like she's from New Orleans. Yeah, she's throwing threats. Absolutely. Yeah, she can back she's it up. New Orleans through, through and through. Um, Let's start New Orleans. How, this is home for you. Yeah. And you, you've left a few times and uh, you always come back. I do. What, why? What, what's, what, is it just because, you know, mom, dad, brother are here? What, what is it about this? So obviously that's Orleans? very important. I think when I was far, farther away, I found out how important family is. Family is everything. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd rather be here, you know, maybe, maybe not in the perfect scenario, but with family rather than somewhere else in a better scenario without family. Wow. Right. I'm very like my, I love when my brother comes over, he can interact with my kid, I love my, my dad interacts with my daughter. I think it's, 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 it's the best thing. Yeah, you know, I think yeah, that's, that's yeah. the whole point of existence, I feel. Mm. So that was obviously a big point of this, but New Orleans is, it's just something, it's tough to describe, right? It's like, it's kind of things where like only like no one can insult my brother but me, right? Like <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll make fun of New Orleans. It's not yeah. the perfect place, God, yeah. you know, of course. We know. But I don't want anyone talking bad about New Orleans, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. yeah, I love this city. I love this city. Yeah, I've, the way I've always described it is I've, I've actually never felt not at home. I've yeah. always felt at <clears throat> home here. Even the very first time I, I came here. Mm -hmm. So I came here right before Katrina in 2005 uh, for undergrad. And... It didn't take long for for this to feel like this feels just like home for yeah. for better or for worse. Um, and home being either Nigeria or Jamaica, and I think a lot of that is just <laughs> can't believe I'm saying this, but it, New Orleans feels very third world. <laughs> I knew you're gonna say that, but it's very true. It's very true though. It's very third worldy, <laughs> and but in all of the charm, right? Yeah. For, for better or for worse, but definitely a lot of the better, like the culture, the people, everything just feels just like a part of humanity that still hasn't been lost as we, you know, become a much more westernized uh, or globalized, uh, uh, I guess, world or, or, or race. But I, I love the city. It's, mm. it's yeah, definitely home. I, the reason I was asking is because I feel the same way because yeah. I left for, I came Left for medical school. Yeah. I went to a Caribbean medical school. Um, and then in, in that time span, because of the Caribbean medical school, I had to travel all over the States. And yep. every time I came back here, it, there there's a stark difference for me as to why I love it here. Um, 
Yeah, like my wife, I think when she first came here, I guess she didn't have a good grasp of what America was like. Mm. So she came to New Orleans and we hung out for like a while. Then she visited her sister in Cleveland, then mm. went to California, then went somewhere to Houston, I think. And she was like, I didn't realize the whole America wasn't like New Orleans. <laughs> it's the only place like New Orleans. Right, I was like, right, yeah, right. It's, it's, every city's a little different, you yeah. know? And I think that's when she started kind of understanding the culture and the, like the the spell the city get, you know, has on you sometimes. Yeah. I want to ask you, you mentioned that. I want to ask you, so tell me more. You lived, I know you lived in Nigeria, you lived mm-hmm. in Jamaica mm-hmm. and obviously you're, you call it New Orleans home now, yeah. but how did that transition? Yeah. Like, so what, how did you bounce back and forth or how did you progress? I guess. Yeah. 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 So I born in Nigeria <clears throat> when I was, uh, eight, eight. Yeah. Yeah. So the, in August, August of 1996, Okay. We moved to Jamaica. Cool. My dad uh, is a pharmacist, uh-huh. and he he went to Jamaica in 1995 for a conference. And this is how I understand it. So I actually need to verify yeah. this with them. But he went to Jamaica in 1995 uh, for a conference, mm-hmm. and I think he impressed someone yeah. there. And they offered him a job, a, pro- a professorship. Oh, jeez, man. <laughs> yeah, great job. So, I know. I know. I don't know. I, I, I mean, that's a way. Like, that's probably a very, there's probably a really cool story behind that. And um, so he was there for a year. And then we moved after. I, yeah. I went there in 1996. So we moved to Jamaica in 1996 when I was eight years old. And from Jamaica to, to uh, New Orleans, so to Thibodeau, really. Mm-hmm was uh, for college. I came here for college. And in Jamaica, there are multiple programs that you can go to uh, when you're in high school. I went to boarding school. Mm -hmm. But there are multiple programs you can go to that kind of prepare you for the SATs. And one of them was uh, like a summer program that Mm -hmm. I did. And what they did was they they would kind of ask you what what you're interested in, um, what you're looking for in a school. And in that process, in that summer, they kind of gauge how, what your personalities are, what, what really would work best for you. So it was a really cool program. In is any it, case. Is that like a British system where like you pick kind of science or arts or not so much? So, so the, the Jamaican education system is the English education okay, system. Okay. So yeah, you do <clears> kind <throat> of like a, after what, what you call grade 10 here, uh-huh. you kind of essentially choose which path you're going to go towards. Okay. I had already like swerved, swerved towards the sciences mm-hmm. anyway. Mm-hmm. So they, uh, the school, I prepared for the SATs, did SATs, um, and based on my scores, they and the schools that they felt worked for me, of course, in, in, in you know, talking with my parents as well, mm-hmm. they came up with a list of schools that offered me scholarships and um, one of them was Nickel State. Yeah. Yeah. Nickel State, Louisiana, the Colonels in Thibodeau. That's right. So, so we, my mom and I came and they, I think they gave me the best scholarship and the church on campus, mm-hmm. St. Thomas Aquinas, we're Catholic, um, is the same church we go to in Jamaica. Very cool. So Providence. It's fate, right? It like, fate. yeah. It's like a yeah. sign. I I remember and <laughs> I remember my mom when I came here. We they they were so nice. They gave us a, a room in one of the apartment complexes on campus, 
And the ver- I think one of the first meals we had was when Domino's had the 555 deal. Do they still have 555 deal? I'm not sure. I'm sure they got some good deals. I'm not sure. But, the, but one, of the first, one of the first things we had, we bought three pizzas, 555 Hell deal. Yeah. My mom and I just ate that. And that was so... I, I, that's, you ever seen that movie, um, Inside Out? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's a core memory for me. Like, I, <laughs> like it's one of my fondest memories. Um, me and my mom eating five 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 Domino's pizza. In, that's funny. In a dorm, not dorm, in an apartment complex on campus in Thibodeau, Louisiana, at Nichols State. But the way um, you say it's so vivid, right? Yeah, it's so awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's how that's how I got here, and <clears> ever <throat> since then, I've been here. My, my brothers, all my brothers, came here eventually. We mm-hmm. all went to Nichols at some point. Um, I think the only one that didn't go was my sister. Um, my sister, she went to different, she, she went to Hong Kong for high school. Oh, wow. Yeah. She, she was all, she, oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And then she went to Massachusetts, Boston, not Boston, um, Worcester. Yeah. I got a good buddy who lives in Worcester. Yeah. 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 So remember when I came visit you, uh-huh. uh, when I uh-huh. came to that conference, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, after the conference, uh, oh, you went to, it's like an uh, hour and a half away yeah, or something, yeah, yeah. right? So yeah, I went yeah, to Worcester, yeah. uh, to hang out with her and then we went to the Celtics game after. Oh, oh yeah. Um, what, I, now that, now I'm thinking about, I wanted to ask you, what was that like? What was that? year in boston like i mean so let me try to be as <laughs> diplomatic as possible and so you know we're internal medicine guys yeah, okay yeah, yeah, like yeah. if i say this i'm sort of some surgery guy or some neurosurgery guy is gonna like, call me oh, a pansy yes that's my normal intern year yeah, yeah, yeah. but for me it was very challenging right, as a medicine right, guy right, right. I mean, it was a long hours but it was like probably 14 to 16 hour days every wow. day you'd get two days off a month roughly but it was Honestly, like it was hard and I lost weight and it was stressful. <laughs> That's and, how like, you got to this. No, dude, this is me gaining my way back. <laughs> I was like born like a cactic. Oh my <laughs> no. goodness. But it was fun. Like yeah. I had, I don't know, like, you know, I knew it was right for me because every day I was like, I was ready to do it. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. I was ready to get up at four o'clock in the morning, ready to go, see the patients, round and around my patients, go to the OR, prep the patients, do all the cases, go home and do it all over again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like my mentors were super cool because they all... Like in the Northeast, it's a little bit more fast paced, right? Mm-hmm. Than it is down here. So everyone's sitting there, everyone's churning, everyone's grinding. So you, 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 you know, you putting in those hours isn't that big of a deal right, compared right, to right. like some of the areas where, you know, like more academic arees where your attending can go home at 2 p.m. and you're there till 8 p.m., you know, doing all this kind of work. Right. You guys are there side by side doing stuff, splitting up the work, just kind of getting it, you know? And that's, that's actually motivating too, right? So it's nice to see that you're attending is, Willing, they're not telling you to do something they wouldn't do themselves. Exactly. Right. And they still love it too. They're right. like, you know, a simple chest tube. Like I know one of my old attendings, you know, so as IP fellows, we do almost all the procedures. So the attending mm-hmm. doesn't get to do as much, right? So I was nearing graduation, maybe one or, mo- one or two months away. And I was like, hey man, what do you want to do right now? And he goes, I just want to do a chest tube. And I'm like, he's like, I haven't done a chest tube in like, because either it's the IP fellow or the pulmonary fellow or oh. a resident. He never gets to do a chest tube. He's like, a simple chest a tube simple is so satisfying. Tube. And I was like, there you go. And he's like, thanks, man. And like, I watched my <laughs> attending do a chest tube and I assisted him. He's like, he loved, he was so happy doing it. It's like, you, like you can't, but not, you know, can't, but not feel great when you see someone like just doing something he loves, you yeah, know, yeah, something yeah, simple. Yeah. It was really cool. And there's one other time where, I was bouncing back and forth. My co-fellow was gone doing, uh, doing uh, like job interviews. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there are two ORs running simultaneously. Each usually has to ha- have right. one. But I was by myself. So I got to pick and choose which cool cases I wanted to do. Right, so right, I went right, to like right, right. rigid to rigid to rigid to rigid. And I was like running back and forth between campuses. They're about a, a six minute walk. So mm-hmm. maybe like a two minute run. I was mm-hmm. going back and forth, going back and forth. And I barely made it. And I came back to this, that same attending. I came back to the OR, his OR. 
and he's got the rigid. He looks at me and he's like, here. <laughs> he's like, right here. <laughs> he, he, so yeah, he was so happy he to thought do he one. Had it. He thought he and had I'm like, it. <sighs> and he's like, here. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> I got to do the rigid and I got to do the case. And it was great. Yeah. But it was just so funny because he's like, oh, I thought I had it. Exactly right. But it was a good year. I mean, like, yeah. honestly, I look back in, on, with fondness. And yeah. Dr. Kerr says it the best. Faye Kerr, he goes, it was the worst year of my life. I'll never do it again, but you should do it. That's exactly right. That's, we have an IP fellow mm-hmm, right now. Mm-hmm. Deanna's about to go do it right now yeah, yeah, yeah. in July. So, because she matched there as well, thankfully. So, it was, it was shout very, out, very shout good. Shout out to Deanna. Deanna Espinosa. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Best. I actually remember um, her, her year group. Wow. I remember her year group because I was leaving when they came in. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. No, it, it, was, it was a good year. Like, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm happy I did it and I'm, it, it, set me up for success and it really gave me a lot of good experiences and helped me be a better attending and right. better at my job, you know? I think for, for one year, it has to kind of be that way, right? So, because there's so much that, there's so much technicality to, to bronchoscopy and different bronchoscopic procedures. No, absolutely. Um, like, I think you and I were talking about this uh, at, at our little uh, our dinner the other day. You have to have the experience. You have to be exposed to so many, like, you know, just making a simple turn to right yep. up a lobe takes a little more dexterity that you just kind of have to do it to yeah. kind of to get that feeling that's awesome do you feel that academia um is a part of your passion for ip yeah i think so ip it's harder to be a private ip physician first right. of all because right. you, you like you have to be in a very large cancer center somewhere you have a lot of collaboration with people but i do find teaching very fun i, I like the i like the fact that you go and learn something and then you get to give back mm-hmm. right and i get to do what i like to do and the fellows are usually pretty pleasant, usually eager to learn. So it kind of motivates you to teach as well, right? Mm-hmm. They're not like not interested. Procedures right, right, are pretty right. cool. Most right. people like procedures. That's why they went to Palm Creek. Right. So it's never like someone just bored of doing bronchoscopy. <laughs> yeah. So they're always excited and get to like, you know, we do cool stuff, I feel. So I love it when they get engaged too. So that kind of back and forth is so nice. And when you have people like nice fellows who are engaged, you want to teach them more. You want to do research with them. You want to help them succeed and get what they want to do. So I find that interaction great, you know, yeah. it's very social, which yeah, I really yeah, enjoy. Yeah. What's, what's the procedure that you're just like, oh, like there's, there's gotta be one. I have one as a, as a pulmonologist. <laughs> I want to hear I, yours I, right now first. Mine is thoracentesis for sure. Oh, really? For sure. I feel like it's starting to become EBIS. Like, really? I do so many EBISs, you know, like I, I love the navigation aspect. Like the navigation mm-hmm. will take me 20, 30 minutes, mm-hmm. very satisfying. It's like a puzzle. And then I got to do the EBUS, right? Wow. I know you have to stage them. It's, it's right for the patient. It just takes extra time. Yeah. And, but now we have good fellows, just give them the scope and they get to do the EBUS and they, they love it. They're still, right. you know, you know, they're still interested in doing it. But at this point, maybe I've done, I don't know, 500, a thousand. I've no idea how many I've done, but you know, it just gets a little bit tedious yeah, sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Actually, that's something I wanted to ask you about is, do you think we'll ever get to the point where we can e- we can do robotic ebuses because right now we don't do that right and so i think some of the companies are trying to figure out a way to do that i don't know how much better you can get because we're pretty good we have a 96 percent diagnostic you know accuracy or something like that but i think it could happen the cool thing would be i always joke about this is i wish i could be my boxers at home doing a procedure <laughs> with, a, with a vr headset. that's right yeah 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 we're probably not too far from i that. don't think so then you, I, they've been doing da vinci's you know like robotic surgery like yeah. on a grape and a banana over across the atlantic or something i don't know how we can't do it at home i always joke about that would be hilarious I, 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 I would that would be amazing for sure for sure although that that does make me a little nervous because 
if if my if my little if my iPhone can you know spaz you know oh absolutely it can do a little you know something like that yeah no then, I agree it, yeah. it is very nerve wracking but it'd be it'd be really fun to do it would be you know. <laughs> a lot of fun speaking of which the new um the new Vision Pro whatever the the Apple version of the the virtual reality oh yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah 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 that's coming out uh-huh. so it's supposed to be like augmented reality so I imagine that's what that's going to be like that's just that's probably the next stage of navigation I've always been like that stuff made me dizzy. Like all that, you know, when you look through it, like yeah, kind of like, yeah, yeah, like those yeah, yeah. roller coaster things and things like that, I was like never like got into it. I don't know. I bet I'm you not. that's what the, that's where navigation. Maybe is it's going gotten next. better. You know, like that's about ten years ago. I'm yeah, sure yeah, it's gotten yeah, better. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't make you as dizzy. I haven't I've, tried it recently. I haven't tried it either. Mm-mm. I don't think I've ever tried any of the virtual or augmented reality stuff, other than what I've seen on demos when somebody else is using it or anything yeah. like that. Um, so I wanted to ask you about your brothers. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Um, it's really cool to me that you're both obviously physicians mm. and you're both obviously like, you know, specialized physicians. Cause he's, he's, he's interventional. He's just straight he's, up. Uh, he's general cardiologist. General cardiologist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm curious to see, if, is there, is there an element of competitiveness between the <laughs> A two? A little bit. I think yeah, we yeah. both go different, different routes, but, uh, I do find, I saw that joke where like, you know, the pulmonologist blames the heart and yeah, the cardiologist yeah, 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 blames yeah, yeah, the lungs. Yeah, yeah. Cause he'll text me pictures and be like, you know. He'll text me like a PFT and say, continue enemy odorone question mark. And I'm like, I don't know how to answer that question because there's so many other factors at play. Do they still need amiodarone? Right. You know, like, is this fibrosis from other things? I don't right, know. Right, it's right. a low DLCO. I don't mm-hmm. know. Give me a CAT scan, things like that. But he's great. He's a great resource. Because when, I, when I'm in the ICU and I'm like, hey, I'm not sure if our cardiology colleagues are doing the right thing or what is the next step? What should I be doing? Right, right. He can chime in and say, no, this is the right thing. They're doing things, guidelines, you know, it, you know in the right fashion. Right, you just, right. you know. That kind of stuff. So it's really nice. To, or like I have a guy with, you know, I think he should get a cath. And our colleagues think that, you know, they don't need a cath. Right. Consult him. He's like, you know, no, I would, I would not cath this guy because of this, this, and this. It helps me kind of, you know, He's understand good, his, you know, understand the cardiology aspect better too, which is really a great resource. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. And and you you said your dad is a he's a public, public health, health professor huh? at Tulane. Yeah. And mom? Mom's a nutritionist by trade, but she stopped working maybe ten or fifteen ah. years ago. I don't know why I always thought you you had a sister, but obviously that's no, not no, the no. case. That's kind of why I like I love having my girls because yeah. I never had a sister. It's me and my brother, so just having that, you know. And, and your kids bond. are the first grandkids, obviously. Yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Super exciting. That's awesome. That's awesome. So you have one brother, one sister. No, no, no. Four. Four brothers. Four brothers. Am I saying that right? Three I don't brothers. Know. I'm asking you, man. I don't Three know. brothers and one sister. So it's five of y'all. Five of us. Okay. I'm the oldest. I have. You're um, the oldest. I always, had a, I always thought you were like the baby or something. No, nah, I'm the oldest. Huh. I'm the oldest. Um, but we're all like, did you ever, you never got to meet anyone. Like, I oldest. think I met your brother. He came for graduation or yeah, something. Yeah. So I have, I'm the oldest, but we're all like one year behind each other. We're all back to back. Yeah. To back to back. Except my sister. My sister came a few like she was five years after the youngest. Gotcha. Um, so it's four um, brothers and then five years and then a sister. Yeah, because my my sister is ten years from me. But yeah, I'm the I'm the oldest uh, boy. But if you if you see all of us together, you wouldn't be able to discern that I am because we're all about the same height. Mm-hmm. We're all and you're like one or two years apart. So it's very exactly. challenging to see who's older, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. And 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 in behavior, because I, I would make the case that I've I've never because I have no recollection of my life without my brothers. Mm, true. I have no. As the oldest, I'm saying, right? Yeah. I have no idea of what life was without any of them. So I don't even remember my youngest brother, Zubi, being born. Mm-hmm. I have no memory of that. Right. So um, 
I've always had them. I think the only the only time when I I was truly aware that I was the oldest was when I stepped away for boarding school, mm. and at that time, because they were my friends, right? My brothers right. were my friends, of course. And so, you know, when I stepped away from boarding school, I started getting my own friends. Yeah, and I'd come back and be like, "Man, y'all are kids," <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't be hanging out with y'all, <laughs> lameos. So, so. Um, that was the only time I, I became aware of it. And then once, once, once time passed and we all kind of caught up with each other again, because, you know, it's, it's that, it's that teenage year when I, you know, I started pulling away. You want to be independent. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then I think once I came to college and they went to, they, they actually also went through kind of the same program I did, except they went to high school here. So they went uh, to Massachusetts. All of okay. them, except the youngest, went to Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. So that experience... Um, they, they got really close and I was the one that was further away and Far then we, away. we came to, they all came to, to Nichols yeah. and, it, and we all got together again and it's kind of been like that since, but yeah, I'm the oldest. I, I think I'm, I don't think of myself in that kind of hierarchy except in like moments of big decisions or something like I that. I see. You know, so they look to you yeah, for those yeah, kind of decisions. Yeah. That's good. So like yeah. they'll, 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 you know, defer to me for certain things, but I don't have a old. I don't have an older brother card that I feel like I need to pull. Right, 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 right. Um, the only other time, the only times I've ever had to do that was, you know, when I felt I was feeling myself back in the day. Yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah. 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 You, you show was boss. You are, do you feel the same way with your? Oh uh, yeah. So when we, we we grew up. We'd always play together. We were you know very close. And in high school, we kind of drifted apart a little bit. I mm-hmm. went you know to college, and he stayed in high school. Then I went abroad, and he stayed in college in you know in the United States. Right. He went to yeah. finish Tulane, did biomedical engineering, did the traditional route. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when I came back, we kind of reconnected, I guess, because I was far away for some time. And now we're very close. You know, we talk and y'all all lived the time. together for a while right? for for a bit. Yeah, yeah. Just we kind of lived together in the same house for a while. Then when after I got married, he kind of moved. You know, we all kind of separated of course yeah, 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 but yeah, yeah it was great we still talk f- pretty frequently and and we actually have a really cool story with your brother other than the fact that i met him in Sha- yeah at Shaber, is that my neighbor yes 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 <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Is my my neighbor um is his sister-in-law yeah his sister-in-law yeah is your neighbor yeah 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 yeah, yeah her, so and her I, husband so it's it because it, I see him every once in a while. I see yeah. him like once every six to eight weeks or something like that. <laughs> you know, I see his car. Yeah. Um, you know, we 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 you know glance at each other every once in a while. You know, the the nod. Of course, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what's I up, see man? you. Yeah, I see you. What's <laughs> up, man? How you doing? Or or random birthday parties. Like yeah. I run into my birthday parties in full costume. I'm like, <laughs> yo, is that you? That's awesome. That's awesome. No, it's, it's like a small, it's a big city, but it's also like a small city, yeah, right? You kind of end up knowing everybody and it's kind of cool. And like everyone kind of very chill and laid back down here, yeah. you know, which is very nice. Yeah. Big, big city vibe, but very much a village. Um, yeah. New Orleans is. And and it's true. And actually, there's one of the reasons I don't, I, I purposefully work away from, mm-hmm. or I live away from where I work. So I, I work about an hour away. Right. Um, from here is so so that i can i can remove myself from my occupation yeah you can disconnect a yeah, little disconnect bit disconnect yeah. a little bit so i really enjoy that and i think that was that's definitely one i think everywhere i've ever been even for re- except for tulane because mm-hmm. um, i live right down the street from tulane right <laughs> <laughs> but everywhere i've ever been i try to live at least 20 25 minutes away from where i work so i get to disconnect yeah that that 
I didn't really realize that, that you know that'd be an issue until like sometimes people are like, oh, my friend of a friend is your patient or yeah. something like that, and you're yeah. like, oh, it's just a weird you know kind of like connection to have because yeah, HIPAA yeah, yeah. and I don't want to say like no I, I don't know them but they're like no no they said they know you right. <laughs> they've already given that information away <laughs> or when like a patient randomly friends you on Facebook I haven't used Facebook and I have an account somewhere but I haven't used it in like five years or something yeah, and then yeah. I log on accidentally I'm like oh that's my patient what's going on you know, why would I which is interesting you know yeah, that's definitely like, one of my <clears throat> my like fears is like I how how do I maintain? Because I'm friendly in the patient encounter anyway. Yeah. Like so, and you're friendly I, out of patient yeah, encounters. I, that's true. I'm a, I try to be friendly yeah. outside, of, but yeah, <laughs> but certainly in the patient <laughs> encounter. So like, I, it's not like I'm treating them like some sort of adversary in any way. Right, right, right. But you know, I'm not exactly reaching for us to be communicating all the time. I have very few patients that actually do have uh, like relationship where they mess, but they they tend to be my. My, the patients actually require that um, kind of attention. Like, right, like, right. If you're not feeling well, and like, call me, text me, that no, kind absolutely. of thing. Um, yeah, it's also interesting, like, relationship, I guess, because you're kind of, like, a, advising them, right, yeah. when you're a physician to a patient. And then when you're in a different scenario, it just changes everything. It's also a little awkward every single time, right, because they don't want to see you, like, they want to see you as a physician. Kinda, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah. Uh, they don't want to see you, like, just, doing something dumb running around right or like you know which you're, which you're entitled to of course absolutely i'm dumb most of the time <laughs> outside of work <laughs> of course outside of work. It, do you still get to have that relationship it, as a procedure it's like because yeah. your patients are sleeping <clears throat> like so it's because i do do some clinic i have a couple of half days mm. of clinic and i do feel like i've I, I get these nice relationships where a patient comes in who's a difficult challenging patient from an outside hospital and i see him just for the procedures and how things are going and I've developed a lot of patients who I think I, I personally feel like I've helped them and helped them have symptomatic benefit and, mm -hmm. and feel breathe easier, I guess, for the next one or two years. And eventually if they're diseased, they, they do succumb to their disease. I, you know, I, I feel like I still have a relationship to that family, mm -hmm. you know, because we, we've interacted so many times and there've been challenging cases that I've grown and I'm thankfully it went well for the patient, but I've also just had challenges and, and just, learning how to adapt with different things that come from the patient's disease process. And yeah, as their disease yeah. gets worse or things happen, they get more infections or their tumor continues to grow, how I've adapted and, and worked with that family to give them at least peace of mind if it's something I can't do anymore. Right, right, and right. also, one of the challenging things, I guess, learning as an attending was knowing when to say, I don't think I can offer anything more mm. for this case. I don't want to ever do something where I think it's zero benefit. I'm doing it just to appease the family, even though I know there's no benefit, yeah, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's always the hardest decision. I try to, now I try to say, listen, I, we're doing something. Eventually this is going to get progressed without, you know, chemotherapy or radiation or treatment. I can only, you know, fight this, fight this, you know, hold this dam up as long as, you know, for only, only for so long, you know? How do you navigate that? How do you navigate that? Like the Because medicine, I think, on a very superficial way, mm. is it's an action field, right? So yeah. like it, it's a it you have you have targets. Like something comes up, there's something to do for it. Right. How do you navigate through that and buffer yourself from always having to do something? Especially when I think as I've matured as an attending, I have, and I'm not there yet, but I, I I'm certainly much more appreciative of nothing is something doing right. nothing is doing something um no absolutely how do you how 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 have you been able to navigate that and especially for you where it's in the name intervention yeah that's right that's right <laughs> yeah yeah i think one of the things i found 
just uh, difficult, I guess. I didn't expect to happen. I'm not a surgeon. I'm not a radiation oncologist. Mm -hmm. I can't give definitive, for the most part, some things I can treat very well, but I can't say, okay, I'm going to cure your cancer or something like that, right? Sometimes the patients come expecting more from me. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I can make you breathe easier. Well, like, well, are you just going to take all the tumor out? I'm like, well, I can't really do that, nor would it benefit if I did spend extra time doing that. Right. So that was a challenge, I think, just like to set expectations, which I found very important in my clinic. You know, listen, if I put valves in the patient, you're not going to be doing backflips or running marathons. You'll be able to walk 10% better mm. or walk to the bathroom and, and have a little bit more quality of life. But I'm not curing your COPD, for example. One of, one of my things that I start to implement in my own clinic is uh, certainly having that conversation about like, what, what are your goals here? Right. So that's great. And upfront. So, mm -hmm. you know, we can do as, an easy example for me would be smoking. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. If someone is continues to smoke and they, you know, they come into the clinic and they're like, I'm short of breath. I'm like, well, look, <laughs> Yeah, we can only really do so much if you continue to smoke. Right. Um, and even what we're doing is not it's not enough to kind of hold back what smoking is is contributing to yeah. your symptoms. So setting expectations. I like that. Setting expectations um, in clinic uh, is definitely something that I think I've also learned as I've as I've, you know, I guess matured as an attending. Where do you see yourself in, in a few years? So I like, yeah. I like asking this question because oh, yeah. I like asking it in three parts. Okay. Go, All right. Hit me. Go. Where do you see yourself in, in one year? Okay. In five years and in 10 years. All right. So in one year, professionally, I hope that, you know, we just recently moved to East Jefferson. Like mm -hmm. they, they kind of moved, picked up all of our stuff and plopped it down at East Jefferson. They've been very supportive, actually. They built us our own dedicated interventional pulmonology suite that I'm very excited about. Not many people get. So I've been very fortunate that people believe in me and, and invested right. in me. I hope that I can prove myself in that next year because things are kind of, as transitions go, they start off a little slow and rocky. So mm -hmm. I hope in one year I'll be rocking and rolling and everyone will understand how good of a program we have. And mm -hmm. I, I find a lot of passion and pride in the program that I grow. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I work mm -hmm. very hard to, to grow that program and to kind of give the best care I can. Mm -hmm. So I hope professionally... I am just ex continuing to grow. And I hope in another you know, five years, maybe we can hire another, another person and we can really maybe open up a fellowship program, like an interventional mm -hmm. pulmonology fellowship program to continue to give back and can, you can train the next level of, of people. Mm -hmm. But I really want to make a really good program rather than just starting it early. I want to make sure that I can give the best training I can possibly give before getting that first fellow in. Right, right. You know, and hopefully in five years we'll have, you know, my, kid, my girls will be older and I can kind of do more cool stuff with them and take trips with them and things like that, which would be really nice. Would, would you, um, what would be the first place that you're excited to take, uh, take your girls to? I want to just take them outside the country and just mm -hmm. let them experience stuff. But I want them also to be old enough to experience it and to understand it. To make right? it meaningful for it to yeah, be meaningful. Yeah. If I take her now, she's two years old, yeah, she doesn't wherever care. you put her, doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> There's a balloon nearby. She'll be happy. <laughs> yeah, That's pretty much it. Yeah. A balloon in Turkey is the same as a balloon <laughs> That's right. down the bayou. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, it, they don't care. They don't care. Um, have you gone back uh, to Jordan? Since, uh, not since, since I got left? married. No, mm. since, not since 2013. It's been a bit. I mean, again, because I think it's more that I call here home. Right, 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 right. right so right, I don't right, have right. that. I want to see my family, of course, my distant, my, my relatives, et right. cetera, my aunts and uncles and everything. But it's just, it's been busy and, and, and tough. And with, with kids, it becomes a little more challenging. And of course, with COVID, uh, that automatically was, took away <clears throat> two, three, four years. No, absolutely right. Because I mean, it was so hard, I'm sure for me, you and me yeah, during yeah. COVID being in the ICU and everything. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then 
the travel the restrictions and everything made it much more challenging and much more difficult, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think the travel industry is still reeling from that. So yeah. it's even harder to travel. Yeah. Is there is there a part of that um, that aspect of who you are? So in terms of culture, ethnicity, mm-hmm. that you're you're hoping to kind of continue with your with your kids? I would love to. I think you know we're in such a good melting pot space where people can. I want my girls to really understand the the good things. The, the goal would be to get to get the good things from Middle Eastern culture mm-hmm. and hopefully take away the bad things mm-hmm. and get the good things from American culture while also taking away the bad things. That'd right. be the best case scenario, right? right? right. And I, I hope we can try to convey that as best we can. But in the end, they're their own, they're their own individuals. They're going to do what they want to do. They're going to gravitate to whichever culture they're going to gravitate to more. Right. Right. So I just hope they come out okay. That's pretty much it. You know, I don't have to worry too much about them. That's pretty much it. Yeah, I was reading a, a book about like different stages of parenting. Hmm. Okay. And I hope I'm doing this right. So basically there's a, there are four stages to parenting. So zero to five, I want to say five to 13, 13 to 18, and then 18 onwards. Okay. So zero to five is um, like a, like you're controlling, like a, yeah. you, so you're setting expectations, you're setting worldview, mm-hmm. you're, you're much more of a dictator. So zero to five. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you I can ha- see that. You're basically, you have no idea what, what's going on. You don't know what, what to expect of this world. <laughs> yeah. I, I will set the world of you. Then 5 to 13, you're more of a coach. Okay. So you're, so you're slowly peeling away, peeling yeah. back. You're more of a coach. So you're, you're on the sidelines. You're watching them. They're, they're the ones out there. They're, they're, they're slowly figuring themselves out. Trial and error and learning Try, stuff. Exactly. Uh-huh. Okay. But still with your guidance. Right. And then um, that's 5 to 13. Yeah. 13 to 18 is another stage that I can't remember right now, but it's another <laughs> stage away from coaching. Right. And then 18 onwards, you're a friend. Yeah. Right. And I hope to have my kids be my friends one day. No, that'd be amazing. Right. And I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That would be awesome. And, and one of the, what, what that per the, I forget the name of the person, but they, their point was basically there are these stages but you shouldn't mix up those stages. So you shouldn't be a friend in the ah, coaching stage. Dude, it's you so shouldn't, deep, man. I know, I know. That's what we're here. That's what we do here. <laughs> That's what we here. do here on the pod, on the last zero. We, we go deep. But anyway, not to mix up those stages. So yeah. don't be a friend. No, it's clever, man. When yeah, you I like need that. To be, when you need to be a coach. Don't be a coach when you need to be a friend. Yeah. So... I do hope that once my kids, because once they go off to college, I mean that's it, right? Like so, like you just hope that in the they 18 could never years, come back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, you hope that in the eighteen years that you've you know you've had them, because um, it'd be so cool. Like it's like you know every week or so we have dinner with my parents. My brother comes over. We all kind of eat, you know, mm. at my dad's house, and we just kind of just chill. We don't do nothing. We just right, hang out. Right. I would love to have that. Hopefully, with my family I in know. the future, you know, if they're know. 20, 25, 30, 35, I'm still alive, God willing. You just come over to my house, and I could. Maybe smoke something if I'm still doing that or whatever the new <laughs> thing is in 30 years. I know. And just kind of hang out, you know, with their kids and stuff. It's going to be great. Yeah, that would be awesome. I would, I would, that's what I'm, that's what I'm hoping for. I'm, ho- I'm definitely hoping, I think at the end of the day is that my kids, um, one day feel comfortable being around me in such mm-hmm. a way that, you know, we can be friends because it's not always easy, like, you know, to be, to have that relationship with your parents. No, I think, absolutely. I think my, my parents and I are now there that we can have like, you know, much more nuanced conversations that, you know, would get you, would cast you an evil eye <laughs> when you were younger. I, 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 
there are things I can say now that I've been slapped for when I was younger. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's much more, much better tolerated now for yeah. sure. For sure. Well, yeah. That was good. Yeah, man. I like this. It's nice too. It's fun to do. I know. We should we should definitely I try to I try to like have I'm going to try and have like follow-up episodes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Where like, are they now? I know. Where are they now? <laughs> yeah. We'll, 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 you know, we'll have um, like a year follow up just to see, yeah. like, you know, what's what's new. It's like those like clickbait articles. Like, you remember them now? We'll <laughs> f- click to find out where they are now, five years later. It's like, still pretty much the same. Doing the same. <laughs> still nothing, here. <laughs> nothing has changed. I'm exactly the same. That's right. Well, I hope we keep we keep uh, growing, keep yeah, changing. Man. And I'm looking forward to to what the future holds for you and good, IP. Man. Yeah, man, be good. <laughs> yeah. Man, be good. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. I yeah, really appreciate course. it. I'm really happy. It's cool yeah, to yeah. do this, man. I feel. Yeah, man. Uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's fun. Yeah, man. All right. Good deal. <laughs>